Welcome to another edition of Get It Right with Mike and Trey. I am Mike. I'm Trey. And uh, and all day long, too, he's Trey. That's right, yeah. And twice on twice Sundays. Twice on Sundays, that's right. <laughs> Welcome to the program. And we're recording... Back. We're recording from a secret location in uh, North Texas. Yes, a you know, super secret, secret squirrel location. Yeah, it, w- it wouldn't be any place <laughs> that you'd want to shop like Eddie Hills Fun Cycles, 401 North Scott, downtown Wichita Falls, since 1966, for all your power sports needs. EddieHillsFunCycles.com. There you go. That, we've never said that one before. <laughs> it's like we've rehearsed it. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, we, uh, you know, we talk a lot of politics and stuff like that on this show, but we, we thought that we were going to take a little time today and I don't know if it'll take the whole half hour, 35 minutes or whatever we run into here, but we thought it would be, maybe it's time to give a life lesson. And, you know, Trey, Trey's a business owner. He's, he's been the co-owner of Eddie Hills fun cycles for a number of years. Now he's been with the company. What? Nearly 30, right? Uh, yes. 30 years will be uh, April fool's day of next year. will be 30 years, 30 years. Um, that's a long time for anyone to be in, in one company and, and a number of years now as the co-owner of the business. And, you know, one of the things that I, and I, I'm, I'm going to brag on my friend here a little bit. He's a leader, not a, not, yeah, he, he's the boss, but he's a leader. And it, it's kind of worrying me a little bit because I'm, I'm just looking around different because I, I talk to a lot of business people. I encounter a lot of people in business, restaurants and, and brick and mortar stores of all sorts and you know, all kinds of places, uh, service industry, industry stuff. You know, I'm starting to have a hard time finding people that seem to be willing to be leaders. And so, you know, kind of what does it take to become a leader? And Trey was sharing with me his his story about, you know, how he started here and how things kind of evolved. And one of the things that has propelled him to where he is today is having a leadership mindset, taking the lead, taking the, you know, being out front, being the guy that never said no. A job needs to be done. I'm on it. I'll do it. I got it taken care of. Being that guy. And I seem to have, I'm having a hard time finding people that seem to be willing to become leaders and be in leadership roles. Um, and we need that, you well, know? Yeah, exactly. We just got to have that. You said you've given your kids some advice. Tell them, and I'll tell you what I told my kids. So I told my kids growing up, and my, my kids are adults now. One of them, she's got three kids of her own now. Um, my kids are both in their 20s, mid and late 20s. But growing up, I told him, I said, wherever you work, whatever you do, I want you to be the most indispensable person in the building. I want you to be the one that never says no. If there's a job to be done, step up, do it. Don't ever take the attitude because this grinds my gears. That's not my job. Not my job. God, I hate that. That's not my job. NMJ, baby. NMJ. And I I told him, I said, I want to tell you something about your old man here. I have literally dug a ditch mm-hmm. for money literally yep. i have schlubbed shingles up a ladder for a roofing job i did that for about three months that sucks <laughs> real quick that i'm not a roofer yeah um i i have been the guy that's cleaned toilets and and cleaned up toilet messes that weren't in the toilet that's right um so i told him i said when you go to work somewhere become the most indispensable person in the building 
Because when it comes time to start laying people off for whatever reason, you're going to be the ones damn hard to get rid of. It's hard to let go of people that are dependable, loyal, dedicated, willing individuals. It's hard to let go of those people. It should be hard to let go of those people. That's right. Because it's today more than ever, it's hard to find them. You, the last thing you want to do is go on vacation for a couple of days or something, and nobody even realizes they don't miss you. Exactly. You you honestly, you don't want to inconvenience people, but just a little bit, you want a little bit of inconvenience. You want somebody to have a little bit of pain or a little bit of inconvenience when you're gone because they need you there. That's right. Advice that I gave my kids. This is this. It's very similar. I told my kids because my our kids are about the same age, about same age. I have two twenty nine year olds and a twenty seven year old. Mm-hmm. And what I told my kids after seeing the uh, the landscape of the current eight, that age range worker, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and even the generation not generation but I guess kind of we're the generation but before but I'm I'm gonna say kids that. that Graduated high school within the last 15 years. What I told my kids was, one, get to work early. Don't have to be there way, way early. Get to work early. If you can beat the boss there, that's even better. Don't leave early. Be the last one to leave if you can. I'm not talking about giving up your life, but if you can, don't leave early. Don't cut out. Don't find dumbass reasons to take off. Take off only when you need to. Try to build that vacation time. One, you may need it one of these days. You may have an emergency. But number two, also, when the boss co- when you build up so much vacation, the boss comes to you and says, hey, you need to take some time off. That's good. You've, sh- you've shown yourself. And number three, don't ever say no. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing you said. Yeah. Don't say no. If they're yeah. don't ask, if they're, as long as they're asking you nothing to do anything illegal or unethical, mm-hmm. do it. Work a little overtime. Do what they need to do. Now, you might call it, say, that's ass-kissing or whatever. No, it's not. It's, it's doing the job, getting it done, and making yourself indispensable. My dad, the some of the best advice that I had, well, I was, I'm going to tell you my, my quote-unquote white privilege that I had. I was born into two good parents. I had Hayden and Peggy Sarala. We both mm-hmm. grew up on farms in Central Texas in, on big, in big families, mm-hmm. okay? And so... Consequently, they didn't know any better. They didn't know how to raise a kid who didn't know how to work. They didn't know how to not work themselves. Right. They they were good role models. They were hardworking people mm-hmm. who went over and above and beyond in their jobs and were successful. Mm-hmm. And but they didn't hand me a business. They didn't. I didn't inherit something like that. I had to work mm-hmm. from the ground up. Right. But but let me tell you, my dad told me. He said. He told me when I was pretty young. He said. I don't care if you're digging ditches or if you're working on Wall Street. When you look a man in the eye and you shake his hand and you go to work for for a day, you agree for a, to work for him for a day for a price, you owe him that day. Mm-hmm. And you owe him that day hard work every mm-hmm. day. And mm-hmm. I took that to heart. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you another thing that my, my dad, I, <laughs> I thought my dad was going to slap the hell out of me. He didn't. I was uh, probably about, I don't know, seven, eight years old. And I was a cocky little shit. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. You've known me for a long time. And there were some guys picking up garbage out there. They're mm-hmm. garbage men. You remember that's what they actually used to come by and get off the truck and dump the dumpster, you know? Pick, pick the metal cans up and yeah, dump them in. in. Yeah, yeah. I was out there making fun of the garbage man. Mm. Not to him. Not no, I wasn't. I, my, my parent, I was respectful, but not to him, but I was talking mess. Mm-hmm. And my dad walked up and he said, boy, 
And I knew when I got the boy, mm-hmm. I, it was about to be good. He said, don't ever let me catch you talking bad about a man who's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said, it doesn't matter what he's doing. Yep. If he's working to feed his family and take That's care right. of his obligations, That's he right. deserves your respect yeah. for doing that job. Well, and there's... There is a there's a lack of respect right now in society. I, th- I think for that for that work ethic. But again, I, I just I see people that. I'll, well, I can give you an example. Okay, I'll go into a restaurant. You know, like a fast food restaurant. I ain't gonna name names, but I go into a fast food restaurant. <laughs> and the person behind the counter, you know, takes my order. Uh, never looks me in the eye. Never looks at me. I can barely hear what they're saying. Not only hit the escort, you got the face shield and the and the bar- and the, pl- and the plastic barrier. It's like, I, I already can't hear what the hell you're saying. Yeah. And, and you're talking the, in teenage on top of that. Oh <laughs> <Yeah>. my god. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't want to get, get you off. Oh, track it's here. so awful. But they 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 never look at you. You can tell no one has really trained them. No one has taught them. No one is leading them. No one is leading them. <laughs> that intercession brought to you by. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that no one's leading these these kids, and I can tell they're not because if they really had a leader, they would at least be able to work some of that out of them. Yeah, I, I really believe when you when you're out front, you're a leader, and you're really guiding people. You can work some of that out of them. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to get it all out of them. The recipient has to be willing to receive. They have to be willing to receive the training, the teaching, the skill. They have to be willing to learn. So it's a two-way street. It can't can't all be put on the boss, the leader, whatever. It's a two-way street. But, you know, a lot lot of this goes right back to the home. These these 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds come out of the home. They haven't been raised by anybody. Mm-hmm. They haven't been raised with the kind of at work ethic that your dad nope. instilled in you. Absolutely not. My grandparents, my my grandparents, when I hit the ground, I had one living grandparent. All of my grandparents were born in the 1890s. Yeah. And by the way, Mike is 49. I'm 49. So do, do the math. <laughs> so my my only living grandparent was my grandmother, my mom's mom. She was in her early 70s the day I hit the ground. And... I learned a lot from that old lady. Yeah. Just listening to her. Now, I didn't realize what I was learning, you know, when I'm five, six, seven, eight years old. But now as an adult, I start to think about all these things, you know, and remember all these things. And she and she shared a lot of life lessons. These folks grew up hard. That's right. My grand my grandmother was born in a covered wagon in Hardeman County, Texas. By the way, if you didn't eat work, you didn't eat. You're damn right you didn't. The, the, eat. the the government was not going to send you a, a check. That's right. There was not going to be welfare. There wasn't a food stamps. There was not a safety, a social safety net. That's right. And by the way, I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm. I think it's good for us to have some social safety net. The problem is when it takes the hard work away and the the obligation to work away. That's when it's a problem. But my grandmother survived. She survived two world wars, countless droughts, floods, pestilence. Uh, she, the, the Spanish the, flu, the Spanish flu, the dust bowl. I mean, name yeah. it. She lived through all this stuff. They had hard lives. They were farmers and they worked hard. Yeah. They grew up in a time in America when, you know, early 1900s America, 
Most people didn't have it. Well, first of all, there weren't many cars around. Nobody around here had one. People still rode horseback. Most streets were still dirt and mud. Yeah, even if you had a car, you couldn't get the damn thing. That's why the Ford Model T was so good because it was it. That was the original Jeep. Yeah, that thing would go anywhere. It could go anywhere. Yeah, but you were. They grew up poor. They were not wealthy people. Now I've had family members. I've had cousins that grew up in wealthy, wealthy homes. Their their parents. Uh, you know, my aunts, uncles, whatever, there's a couple of them that were, were very well-off people. They did very well for themselves. They made a lot of money. The cousins inherited a lot of that money, and they pissed it away so fast. It's, it'd make your head hurt. I've watched family members take fortunes and waste it, and I mean waste it. Yeah. Um, but that's been a rarity in my family. We didn't have that many wealthy people. I didn't inherit a business. I didn't inherit, I didn't inherit anything. Uh-uh. I mean, you know, I had nothing. I mean, zero. zero. And now you have two businesses. And I got two. And um, am I a millionaire? Hell no. Um, well, you must be. You own a small business. Just, just ask the left. <laughs> that's and, the and, 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 and by me. the way, Mike, I don't care how much you pay in taxes. You're not paying your fair share. I, it, you know, I got a bill the other day from the IRS. They yeah. want some more of theirs. And when you put the and IRS together, it does after all spell theirs. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, the, the point being here, you know, we try, we tried to instill and, and apparently we were at least somewhat successful in doing so yeah. instilling good work ethic in our kids. Not everybody has been so successful in doing that. Um, a lot of, a lot of our generation sadly didn't even try. Well, we seems. were the first generation of bad parents. I, I yeah. say that over and over. Uh, Mike and I are generation X. Uh, we mm. were, and we were both born in 1971. Yep. And so our generation, now our parents were the first generation of the kind of bad parents. Yeah. They, they, they coddled us a little too much. Mm. Now, when I say that at my house, it didn't happen. I, I, I'm going to, but, but overall, when I look at my friends and all that, yeah. parents weren't really being your friends or your buddies, but they were kind of letting the pre- computer, letting the video games take over a little bit more. Don't make you go outside and play as much. Yeah. Um, putting up with lip. And back talk, which, by the way, <laughs> that didn't happen in the Sorala house. No, I know it, it happened. To, I, I was a lippy little bastard, but I got my lips. <laughs> you know, it, it got straightened out. It, it never went unfettered. Oh, my grandmother would make you go out and pick out your own switch. Yeah, yeah. My, I, I, my grandmother did, too. God, I mean, brutal. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> if it broke too quicker than it, she thought it should... Then she went out and picked one. Oh, she could, my grandma come back with a two by four. Yeah, yeah. Like hacksaw Jim Duggan, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, or whatever. Beat but, you over the head with it. But but here's the thing, I, I've said this over and over. Our generation was the first generation of bad parents. Now yeah. I don't think I'm a bad parent. I don't think you're a bad parent. There, and there's a lot of good parents in there. Sure. But our generation got to be where we were really starting to let the computer. And the and the video games and all that take over a lot of our parenting duties. Mm-hmm. People wanted to be liked by their children as opposed to respected by their children, which is a completely two different opposite thing. Mm. I didn't really want. I didn't care if my kids liked me or not. No. I wanted them to. I wanted to have a good relationship with them. I wanted to have a positive, friendly style relationship with them. But I told my children the same thing I was told by my parents. I'm not your friend. <laughs> yeah. I'm your parent. It's my job. To raise you to be a responsible, right. contributing human being, not to be your buddy. You got plenty of friends. Okay. You're not going to talk to me like a friend. You're not going to interact with me like a friend. Right. And 
our generation was the first generation to kind of get away from that where it's like, I don't want my I don't want my kid to be mad at me. Well, who gives a shit? There's they're gonna be even no matter how much you don't want them to be, they're gonna be mad at you. That's right. Our generation also, Mike, and I can I can say say this, and I know people get pissed at me, and I don't care. It was the first generation where single parents really blew up. Oh. Yeah. And by the way, I was a single parent for eight years. Mm-hmm. I raised my daughter myself from the time she was two to ten. And when I say by myself, I mean by myself. Yep. Her mother not only was not around, there was no child support, there was no there was no visitation. She was not in the picture. Right. Okay. Before I got remarried, I raised my child. So I was a single parent. But I'm gonna tell you, and I said this to this day, and I've got the I've got the street cred to prove it. I've got the street cred where I can say it. A two parent household, okay, let me say the first word. All things equal. Mm-hmm. I always have to say that because you have dumbasses out there that go, oh, two crackheads is not as good as one not crackhead. Well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> All things being equal, right? two parents are better than one. Right. Okay? And it's it's better to have two parents in that household. So our generation was the first generation that there was a lot of single parents, yep. and they raised gener- – we've – started raising more generationally single, single parents. Yeah. Lots of dads out of the household, by the way, which I think is, is bad. There, so many of these kids never had that male influence they need to have. Right. And by the way, they need female influence too. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. This is not a, 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 a man can raise a woman, a, a kid better than a woman can. I'm not getting into that. It's different. Right. But what I'm saying is children need, they need that male and that, that female influence in their lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when, and unfortunately, because it's so much easier for the males to leave, yeah. not only biologically, just in general, but also biologically, men are just don't get emotionally tied down as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier for a guy. It wouldn't be for me, but for a guy to go, eh, those are my kids. Eh, I'll get around to it. I think that's harder for men to, or easier for men to do than women in general. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what's caused this problem. And then it's like, okay, I'm a single parent, kids being a little pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to give in for a quieter life. And that's what happens. And it happens over and over. And these kids learn they can negotiate and bully their way and get what they want. And, and the parents just give up. Well, look what's happened in the school systems. Teachers getting roughhoused and bullied. I mean, they, they, we, we've seen it happen where students will physically manhandle a teacher, a female teacher. At yeah, that. That's ridiculous. And, you know, I feel like, well, I know for a fact, okay, when you and I were in high school, they still paddled. Oh, yeah. Dan Shores. Yep. Dalton Clark. <laughs> Dalton Clark, Ace Reed. I mean, these these guys would, you know, they'd take care of it. And and they still. and I got a quick story on that whenever you go. Go ahead. I, I'll, I'll remember. I'll follow up on my, my paddling story. You know, I, I just, and, and I also, I went to a grade school for a short time where, the teachers, each teacher had their own paddle in their classroom. Yeah. And if you got out of line, they took you out in the hall, and they handled it. You can go to the principal's office first. They took care of it. If you end up at the principal's office, you were in some deep shit. I mean, you you did something that was heinous. You did something unforgivable. Uh, you may need the the the, uh, uh, the pope to intervene on your behalf or something. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, you may need something. Jesus you, Christ Himself will you, not save you. You, <laughs> need, you need you need the, you need the Lord more than you've ever needed the Lord. <laughs> I'm telling you. So 
Uh, but we we went to we, we grew up in a time when corporal punishment was still used even in the high school level. Yeah, absolutely. You know, danger in the junior high level too. Yeah, well, Coach Randy Byers. <laughs> Coach. Coach Byers got Coach me one time. McGowan. Coach <laughs> Ray McGowan. McGowan. Oh, Ray McGowan. Coach Joey Fain. Oh, my God. Yeah. Coach Ray. McGowan. Okay, let me let me describe Coach McGowan for everybody. He Coach. had this thing down to an art form. Yes. Coach McGowan <laughs> was probably five foot seven. Yeah. But probably weighed 215, 20 pounds. And I mean a solid yeah. 250. He wasn't a 215-pound lump of chewed gum. He was solid. He was ripped. Yep. Black dude who had played at Grambling for the old coach, A. Robinson at Grambling back in the day. Yeah. And this guy had huge shoulders, huge arms on him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, when he swung that paddle, he swung yeah. with intent. Oh, yeah. Real quick on the sidebar here before we go on. We had an administrator. We're, we're, we, Mike and I grew up in Wichita Falls, Texas. Yes. We went to, we went to junior high and high school together. There was an administrator who had been an administrator many, many years. He was an administrator. His name was Dalton Clark. First off, one of the most brilliant uh, arithmetic and mathematical guys you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, he's just as country as country can be. If you listen to him, <laughs> yeah, yes, Dalton Clark, I'm here to do it. But let me tell you, don't don't play number sense with this cat no. because his, mat, his mind is like a calculator. So anyhow, he was our principal in junior high. He was our principal in high school. Yeah. He went on to be an elementary school principal. Mm-hmm. Well, I served on the school board in Wichita Falls ISD. Well, Dalton, Dalton was an educator for over 40 years. So not only did I – he was an administrator when I was a kid, I was on the, he was still a principal when I was on the school board. Well, one of the things I would do is i go to every school and I'd introduce myself to all the teachers at their teacher meeting and just real quickly, hey, my name's Trey, and I'm open to suggestions, and blah, blah, blah. Anyhow – he was he was principal at the school. I walked in and I said the first thing I said the first thing I want to ask is said, "Hey, raise your hand in here if you've ever given me licks." And everybody looked at him and looked at me like I was insane. And Dalton Clark's hand goes up, <laughs> <laughs> and all these teachers are like, "That's a crazy thing to start out with." And it's like, "But that guy has. He's busting my ass with a paddle." <laughs> I had one one time in, in elementary school, Coach Briscoe, old uh, Coast Guard guy. Yeah, I I mean, this is a you, – you were in a different district than I had heard of Coach Briscoe. Yeah. This guy was – I mean, he was as rough as sandpaper, dude. This guy was – he was rough. And um, how he got into education, I don't know. I just – he never, to me, could fit the mold of a teacher, but he apparently he enjoyed it because he stayed with it till he retired from it, I think, or died. I think he might have died while he was still teaching. But he's been gone for years now. But um, but he he got me one time, and I, don't, I said something in class. I don't even remember what I said. I didn't curse. It wasn't any, like a four-letter foul or something, you know. I, I, I didn't. I, just, it, I, I did something that just rubbed him raw, and he just looked at me and goes, and points the hallway. <laughs> that was basically a snap, a point at, and a point away because nobody could see it over the radio. And I knew what that meant. Yeah. Get out in the hallway. So I got up very sheepishly walking. And of course, all the everybody in the class is, you're going to get licked. <laughs> you know, having a real good time with it. He, he made me cry. Yeah. Because it hurt. I didn't want to cry. 
I fought it. Yeah. Man, I fought it. Couldn't help it. I mean, it hurt. I got two swats. And I swear to God, I swear to God, it was like the Terminator lit me up. <laughs> and, and he looked right at you and said, you do it again and I'll be back. <laughs> he did. I mean, this, I don't remember. You know, I'm going to guess he was probably six foot something tall. Same kind of thing. You know, big. He, I remember he had forms like Popeye. Yeah. I, always he had, I always thought he was like Popeye. This guy lifted me off the floor, dude. Mm. And, I mean, now, did I go screaming to the principal did I go home and cry to mama about abuse at school? I didn't want my mama knowing a damn thing about it. Hell no. Because I would have got double at home when you I got damn there. Damn right. The last thing I wanted to know when I was given a choice when we got to when we got oh, to junior high and high school and, and before I was driving in high school yeah. and riding the bus. Yeah. You know, when I was in elementary school, I could walk home. Right. But I couldn't I had to ride the bus home from junior high and high school and they used to say, you want licks or D-Hall? Well, if I had D-Hall, that meant that Peggy Sarala was going to have to get in the car <laughs> come get you. and come get my ass after school, <laughs> which, number one, was going to really inconvenience her, Yes, and, which did matter to me, by the way. Yeah. And number two, then she knew I got in trouble. She's going to know. The and last thing I wanted to hear was, do I need to call your mother? Hell no, you don't need to call my mother. <laughs> no. Bust my ass or what, maybe stand in the corner, wear the dunce cap, whatever no. it is. Please don't call my mother. That was me. I'm praying all the way home that mama don't find out. I, see, I didn't want my mom to know. You know? Because I knew that if I got in trouble at school, there was a reason I was going to be punished at home. Well, and the thing, you know, the point of this whole discussion, going back to the whole work ethic thing, and, the, you know, we, we grew up in a time, I think, when discipline mattered more. And I don't just mean physical discipline like getting yeah. licks in school. I'm talking about discipline and attitude. And work ethic and, and and all this stuff it, it it meant something more than it does today, and you know we've got we've got a situation in this country right now that it's I don't know what we're going to do about it in the short term, but every business practically in this country has got a help wanted sign out front. Oh yeah, very few businesses don't. Uh, if you're if you're one of those businesses that's not in the bind to hire people, consider yourself fortunate. Congratulations. Uh, but there there's many, especially in the restaurant industry, the service industry, Any kind of service industry. Yes. Everybody's hurting for people, and they can't find people. There, the companies are actually paying people to just come and apply for a job. We're not talking about interview for the job. We're not talking about accept the job. Talking about I'm talking apply. about sign-on bonuses. I'm talking about just show up and fill out an application. We'll give you 50 bucks, or we'll give you a gift card or we'll buy you a hamburger or something, whatever. Yeah. They're bri- we're bribing people, Trey, to go apply for jobs, and it's not working. It's not working. We're not fixing this. The unemployment numbers, you know, the, the jobless numbers keep coming out, and every week it's the, it's the same narrative. Jobless numbers um, – unexpectedly climbed this week. <laughs> yeah. Inflation, unexpectedly climbed this Unexpectedly, my ass. Are you kidding me? You don't expect it? Well, when you're Everybody's giving money away like it's like it's God. water. Oh. I mean, that's what we, you know, part of it, just, we don't even want to, we don't even have time. Maybe we'll touch on it real quick. This, was it America Recovery Act or whatever? Oh. When they're coming up, infrastructure, infrastructure. But they're talking now about human infrastructure? What the hell is that? That's a made-up term. It is. What, what it is, Trey... You want to you want to put people in boxes. You want to make them need you. The, the objective here is 
to make you as dependent on government as possible. Yep. The more you have to beg for the crumbs, the more desperate you become, the more compliant you become. That's right. When people are hungry and sick and frustrated and tired and all this stuff, they tend to become more compliant. They're willing to say yes to anything just to get fed and, and make sure they don't lose the roof over their head. And it's a damn shame that we've allowed this to happen. And all of this, where we are today goes back to the way this pandemic was handled from day one. Uh, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. The government and the media both did the one damn thing you're told you never do. You don't scream fire in a crowded theater because you panic everybody. And that's exactly what they did. They panicked everybody. They panicked business owners. They panicked employees. They panicked churches. They panicked everybody. And what you ended up with is a society that shut down because the CDC, a totally unelected body of government employees who have no constitutional authority to tell you a damn thing. That's right. They're advisory. And, and, And I hear mayors and county commissioners and city councilors and governors all across the country getting on TV and saying, well, we're just complying with CDC mandates. What the hell does that even mean? Complying yeah. with a CDC mandate? You didn't vote for any of these ass clowns. They were appointed to these damn jobs, and you can't fire any of them. No, because some of them have been there 40, 50 years. So, Dr. Fauci is uh, the highest paid employee in the federal government. I think somewhere between $415,000 and $425,000 a year. Let me say that one more time. Let, let this sink in if you've not heard this. Mm-hmm. Dr. Anthony Fauci mm-hmm. is the highest paid employee mm-hmm. in the federal government. He makes more than everybody in Congress. Yep. He makes more than the senators. He makes more than the person who's got their finger on the nuclear button. And if you stop the average person on the street and ask them, who do you think is the highest paid person who works in government? Most people are going to say the president. president. Because you just kind of expect that to be the case. They got the most responsibility. But not the highest paid. Yeah. No. And, and so we've allowed this to happen. And, and where, where we are in this country right now, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a hell of a ditch here. Um, and we've got to figure out how to get out of it. But I don't think there's a short-term solution right mm-hmm. now. No, I agree. But a big step in that direction, and we talked about this last broadcast, is, is the elections coming up next year, the midterm elections. we got to fix that. And, and at home, everybody, you know, if you've, got, if you've got small children at home or teenagers at home, you really need to instill in them the need to work, the need to earn, the need to save, the need to be um, <clears throat> to develop a loyalty and a dedication to their country, to their employer, their, their state, and their community. State and their community. Give back. Yeah, you know that, that's 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 what I always say. Give back to your community. Serve serve in your community. I'm I'm gonna, I'm you know here in this last minute or so I'm, I'm gonna try not to get too preachy on you but I'm gonna preach to you. You got to teach your kids these things. You th- this starts in the home. Ab- oh yeah, it, this isn't up to the school. To do. No, no, the schools the schools can the only school do can so reinforce much. it. They but can. it needs to be taught there. But this, and the schools can only do so much. It it's got to be taught in the home. That's where it all starts. Everything from literacy to responsibility to work ethic, everything it starts with the parents in the household. That's where it begins. Absolutely. And one other piece of advice I gave all of my children, and I still stand by it today, if anybody else is paying your bills, they own you. You need to understand. And if if it's, it's, you need to always be able. And I'm not saying that don't marry somebody who makes a lot more money than you or whatever, 
But what I'm saying is you need to always be able, have the ability to stand on your own. That's right. And, but if somebody else is paying all of your bills, mm-hmm. all of your expenses, they own you, whether it's personally or whether it's the government. Mm-hmm. Because let me tell you something about people that live on the government. And I don't mean people that are temporarily lost their job, need some extra income, got laid off because of Corona, whatever that happens. But I'm talking about generational poverty, generational government, hundred percent government dependence, people that mm-hmm. section eight people, these people that know exactly what I'm entitled to that, the entitlement <laughs> thing, the entitlement yeah. people. Yeah. Okay. Cause you let me tell you something about all those people. The government owns them. That's right. Because the government can tell you where to live. Mm-hmm. They can tell you what you're going to get, how much you're going to get, what you're going to have. Because if the government tomorrow said, uh, no more, uh, no more prepackaged foods for, on food stamps. That's guess right. what? You don't get prepackaged foods anymore. That's right. If the government tells you tomorrow that you could spend your your food stamp money at McDonald's, guess what? Now you get McDonald's. Somebody else is making your decision. You as a human being do not get to make your decisions because somebody else is paying your way. They're paying their rent, your rent for you. You don't get to choose where you live. No. If the government says we're closing this place down, you're going over here. Yeah, you're you're going. Your ass is going. You're going. So you always got to remember. You got to be able to stand on your own two feet. And once again, I go back to I'm not I'm not an anti-welfare person. Mm-hmm. I do believe there needs to be a social, you know, we're a wealthy country overall. There needs to be some sort of social uh, or social safety net for people. Sure. Some people actually fall. Mm-hmm. Some people have issues. Sometimes it sometimes it's self-imposed, sometimes it's not self-imposed. But I'm not I'm not opposed to it. But mm-hmm. when when it becomes the generation and you're teaching your kids mm-hmm. over and over and we live like this, and you're going to live like this, and your grandkid, your kids are going to live like this, and your grandkids are going to live like that. You never break that cycle. That's right. That's right. You and it gets do. worse and worse and worse. But guess what? In the end, someone owns you. That is not freedom. Whether it's an uh, individual or the government, they own you. Yeah, that is. Guys, we're out of time. We'll see you next time with another edition of Get It Right with Mike and Trey. Until then, God bless you. God bless America. Y'all take care. We'll see you down the road, kids. 